The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 125 Changing of the Mantles The smell of sulfur permeated the air. 102 men had attempted to arrest Elijah to take him to the king of Israel, but rather than succeed in their task, they had been burned to ash by lightning. Their smoldering outlines, charred on the hillside, were still visible. The leader of the next 50 soldiers came with a completely different attitude. O oh, man of God, please have mercy on us and ask God not to burn us up with lightning like the other men, the humbled officer said as he fell down on his knees before Elijah. You know we are only lowly soldiers who have to carry out the king of Israel's orders. Please spare us. We respectfully request that you come back with us. The attitude of this army captain was a welcome contrast to the haughtiness of his two predecessors. As Elijah considered his request, an angel sent by God appeared to him. Don't be afraid, the angel said. Go down to King Ahaziah. God has a message he wants you to deliver to him. A short while later, Elijah was brought before the sickly king. So you are done killing my men, man of God? Ahaziah sarcastically quipped. God does not take lightly those who seek to harm his prophets. Elijah replied. Unfazed, Ahaziah pressed on. So what is your next verdict? Will you do to me like you did to my men and burn me up too? What do you say? Speak up. Shall I live or, or die? Tell me now, O oh man of God. What happened to you and your men was because of your defiance of God, Elijah said. Because you have gone and asked for advice and healing from the pagan god of Ekron instead of the one true God, you shall die in your bed. Ahaziah erupted with a fit of coughs. <coughs> <coughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. <coughs> he sputtered, visibly irritated and upset. He told his servants to escort Elijah out. A short time later, Elijah heard that Ahaziah had died. Since Ahaziah was childless, his brother Jehoram was next in line to become king. He too would follow after Ahab's ways, causing Israel to transgress against God. About this time, God revealed to Elijah that his time for service in Israel 
was almost over and that he needed to start preparing his followers for his departure. Elijah decided to travel to Gilgal, the location for one of the schools of the prophets. These colleges were used for training young people to support the work of God. In Gilgal, Elijah met up with Elisha, who had left his family about 10 years earlier to be trained by Elijah. Elisha was Elijah's best student and had become a prominent leader within the colleges. It was evident that in time, Elisha would succeed Elijah in the schools and in leading God's work in Israel and Judah. After Elijah had said his goodbyes and given his parting instructions to the students in Gilgal, God told him his next stop would be the college in Bethel. Elijah told Elisha that there was no need for him to accompany him to Bethel and that he should remain behind. There is no way I am going to leave you at a time like this, said Elisha, who was a little bit hurt that his mentor would even suggest he stay behind. Elisha didn't know it, but God was testing his loyalty and wanted to see just how dedicated he was to Elijah and the work he was doing for God. Elijah gave in to his request and the two men rode on to Bethel. There, some of the students from the college excitedly came out to greet them. When Elisha was a little ways from Elijah, some of the students breathlessly asked him, Do you know that God is about to take Elijah away? I know very well, Elisha said, but I don't want to talk about it. Elisha was saddened at the thought of his master going away, but also wanted to assure the students that everything would be all right and that the work would continue. Finding everything in Bethel in order, Elijah told Elisha that God wanted him to travel to the college in Jericho. Remain here at Bethel, Elijah told Elisha. There is no need for you to go on another trip. Again, Elisha was saddened. As God lives and as you live, I am not going to leave you, Elisha told his master. Where you go, I will go. When Elijah and Elisha arrived in Jericho, the younger prophet was again accosted by a group of college students who excitedly asked him about Elijah's imminent departure. Elijah had touched the lives of these students, and his departure meant a great deal to them. Again, Elisha told the students that he was well aware of it, but not to worry. When Elijah's final arrangements were made in Jericho, the elderly prophet told his protege that now God had instructed him to go to the Jordan River. He once more suggested that Elisha stay behind. Elisha looked into the eyes of his master. I already told you, as God lives and as you live, I will not leave you, he said with tears welling up. So the two went on toward the Jordan River. Elisha had proven he deeply understood the tremendous importance of loyalty to God's servants. As the two prophets headed toward the river, a group of about 50 students followed behind to see what would happen. 
Now that Elijah had given his parting instructions to all three main schools, the students expected to see something by the time Elijah and Elisha reached the fast-flowing river and were unable to go farther. They would miss their leader and wanted to be with him as long as they could. What happened next shocked the onlookers. Walking down to the river, the elderly Elijah took off his cloak and folded it up as if he might be getting ready to go for a swim. Then instead of dropping his cape on the sand, he struck the water with it. Immediately, the water stopped flowing. To the one side of Elijah, the flow of water piled up as if a gigantic invisible dam had suddenly dropped into the middle of the river. On the other side of Elijah, dry land quickly appeared without even any puddles remaining where the river once raged. As the students looked on with amazement, Elijah and Elisha walked across the riverbed. They didn't even need to jump from rock to rock to avoid puddles. The riverbed was completely dry, as if it was part of a desert landscape. With each step, the wall of water rose higher and higher, backing up the valley and filling the river channel. Once both men finished climbing up the steep bank on the far side of the bed, a roar filled the air as the wall of water came crashing down and refilled the dry riverbed. Once Elijah and Elisha were alone and out of view, the elderly prophet turned to his friend and said, Over the last few days and weeks, you have shown yourself a dedicated servant of God, and I have appreciated your loyal friendship and support. But God has shown me that the time has come for me to go. Is there anything I can do for you before I go? Immediately, Elisha replied, I have seen God work amazing accomplishments through you for the good of his people. I want to continue that work even more. Let a double portion of God's spirit that is in you be upon me. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. That is not something that is in my power to give you. Only God can give his Holy Spirit. It is up to him whether or not he will grant you a request. If you see God take me away, then know that God will give it to you. If not, then it will be a sign that God has decided against it. The two men continued to walk and talk excitedly about what God had in store for Elijah. Abruptly, a gust of abnormally warm wind blew across their faces. The men looked up to see a ball of fire descending out of the sky in front of them. As it got closer, they could see that it resembled a fiery chariot pulled by fiery horses. It swooped down toward the men, forcing Elisha to jump to the side. Dust and dirt blew all around as a roar filled Elisha's ears. In the next instant, 
the chariot passed and shot back into the sky. Only this time, Elijah was in the chariot. He held on as a whirlwind of flames surrounded him. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen, they're off. Elisha cried as he watched Elijah disappear over the horizon. Elisha had learned a great deal about God and about family through Elijah, and he looked upon the prophet as his father. He understood the value of the education Elijah had given, and he was emotional about it, saying, My father, my father, revealed a deep understanding and a beautiful attitude. God loved it so much that he used Elisha to replace Elijah. Once Elisha could no longer see the flames in the sky, he saw that Elijah's cloak had fallen to the ground. This mantle was a symbol of Elijah's office and authority. It now belonged to Elisha and was a sign that God would work through him. Walking back to the river and the waiting students, Elisha struck the water with Elijah's mantle, but nothing happened. The water did not stop flowing as it had for Elijah. Elisha immediately realized that he had expected the water to part just because he had Elijah's mantle and that he needed to make sure that he was fully looking to God for the power. Where is the God of Elijah? He said as he struck the water with the mantle a second time. After he had spoken these words, the water immediately parted as it had done for Elijah. Elisha then walked back across on dry land. God provided a visible demonstration of who he was now working with in Israel. When the 50 college students saw the Jordan River part, they knew that Elisha would be their new leader. They ran down to meet him and fell down on their knees out of respect. Soon, questions were flying about what had happened, what Elisha had seen, and what he had talked about during his last moments with Elijah. One of the students asked with concern, Shouldn't we go and look for Elijah? Perhaps the fiery chariot left him on a mountaintop somewhere or dumped him in some secluded valley. But Elisha wasn't worried. If God took Elijah to a different place, it was for a purpose, he told the young men. Going to look for him is a waste of time. Nevertheless, the students kept urging him until he finally relented. It was apparent to him that their curiosity would not be appeased any other way, and that a fruitless search might help them learn to trust what he said more in the future. He gave them permission to look for him. The students searched for three days before returning to Jericho, where Elisha was staying. You should have saved yourself the trouble if you had listened to me, Elisha gently reprimanded the students. I know you loved Elijah, but God has him doing an important work in a distant land. 
Many people believe that when God took Elijah away in the fiery chariot and whirlwind, he ascended to God's throne in heaven. Christians point to this section of the Bible as proof that going to heaven is the reward of the saved. They believe this even though Christ said that no man has gone up to heaven but himself. Many Jews also say this story is proof that Elijah is still alive in heaven. They believe God will soon send the same prophet back to earth before the coming of the Messiah. But if Elijah didn't go up to God's throne in heaven, as Jesus Christ said, where did he go when he was taken away in the fiery whirlwind? A clue as to the answer is found in the word the Old Testament uses for heaven. This word is used to describe three very different places. The Earth's atmosphere, the physical universe, where the stars and planets reside, and God's throne room. So in relationship to the Earth, we could label the sky within the Earth's atmosphere as the first heaven, outer space as the second heaven, and God's spiritual throne room as the third heaven. Jesus Christ himself said Elijah could not have gone to the heaven of God's throne, so it should be obvious that Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven or into the first heaven where birds fly and whirlwinds can exist. As the Bible later reveals, God took Elijah to a distant nation to do another important work. Years later, an evil king in Israel received a letter from Elijah telling him that because of his refusal to repent, the king would die of a terrible disease. The exact details of what Elijah did during this time probably won't be known until he is resurrected from the grave when Jesus Christ returns to rule earth. For the next little while, Elisha remained in Jericho to get some rest and make plans for the coming days. The climate in Jericho was beautiful and the city was pleasant to live in. But there was one big problem. Jericho's well water had become bitter and could not be easily used for irrigation. One day, the leaders of Jericho came to Elisha to entreat God to heal the water, which had now gotten so bad that they could hardly stand it any longer. Some people were even getting sick. Now that the people had asked God for help, Elisha acted immediately. He called for a new container of salt, which he promptly carried to the city's main well and dumped it in. God says he has healed these waters, Elisha told the onlookers. From now on, there will be no death, and the land will grow and blossom again. How could such a small pot of salt fix the water? Asked a man from the crowd. This makes no sense. I knew we shouldn't have asked this shyster for help. What a waste of good salt. It isn't the salt that healed the water, Elisha replied. Only God could perform that miracle. 
The salt is just a symbol of purity. Go ahead and taste the water. I think you will find that it is sweet and refreshing. That evening, many people gave thanks to God for the clean water. Over the next weeks and months, as their plants and trees came back to life and produced bountiful fruit, they were constantly reminded of the great miracle God had performed. Next, Elisha set off to Bethel to see how the college was doing since his last visit with Elijah. As he approached the city, a group of unruly youths came out of the city to shout insults at him. Look at the old ball head, they shouted. See the sun glinting off his scalp? Maybe it is fire from another magical flying chariot. <laughs> Come on, old baldy. Tell us another of your crazy stories, you old religious crackpot. You should know better than to disrespect a servant of God. That is the same as disrespecting God himself. Elisha told the youths, God will curse you for such actions. Suddenly, two menacing roars were heard emanating from the nearby woods. What was that? One of the youths yelled. Their attitude quickly changed from scoffing to terror. Run! But it was too late. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story, find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.com. 